Hey friends, this is Holly Goodman, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences raising my son, Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son, Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's group of exceptional autism parents. Welcome to another podcast of Isaac's Autism in the Wild. Today, I have a group of parents joining me, and we are talking about ways we can improve or keep, uh, I I guess improve, but also ways where if we have a child that has a low self-esteem, things that we can do to help them hopefully improve their self-esteem. And this is kind of related to that concept of the different, not less. We know that we have a lot of kids struggling out there and, you know, COVID has helped some of those kiddos because there's less social expectations, but we still know that there's a lot of individuals out there that have invisible disabilities that feel as though um, somehow they are less and they don't measure up to their peers. So I asked this group of parents to join me so that we could talk about ways that we help improve and boost our kids' self-esteem. And so, Tanya, you are up on my Brady Bunch screen. You're on my left. So could you just, first of all, just talk about your kiddo and just explain ways that your child's self-esteem is somewhat impacted so that we kind of just have a baseline. And then if you want to then share anything that you do that might help improve or things that you work on as a parent that maybe work on just having a positive self-esteem. Okay. My name is Tanya. I have a 10 year old Logan with, who has um, autism. Um, He's extremely verbal. He's also very aware of his differences more so um, now that he's getting older and he kind of goes back and forth on his self-esteem. So sometimes he has really good self-esteem, but when he's going through a difficult patch, his self-esteem plummets. And so when he's, um, when he's having really great self-esteem, he will be the first to tell you, um, about his autism, he'll be the first to say, well, I don't have a disability because I can run, I can walk, I can talk. And so he, we've kind of talked to him a lot about how his brain just works differently than other kids. And so he will be like, I don't have a disability. My brain just works differently. So he's really good at saying that, like when he's in a good mood. However, he struggles with self-esteem because he does have a lot of significant challenges, especially when it comes to like managing his emotions and his um, behavior at times. And so when he goes through a rough patch where he makes maybe not a great decision, he, his response usually is to, um, he will call himself an idiot and like, he will insult himself. Yeah. And he'll say, I'm such an idiot. And so it's just really trying to um, constantly give that positive self-talk to him and be like, you know, no, you're not, this may be more challenging for you, but you're definitely not an idiot. And just giving him the, um, words to be like, you know, we just have to work through it and solve the problem and constant positive self-talk because he gets really down when he does go have a rough time with something. And I feel like, Tony, you actually have a real advantage over some of us parents because you have a background in school counseling. I mean, has that helped you just in terms of knowing what to look for and then being able to like talk through some of those, that negative self-talk that he has? It definitely does. Um, I will admit sometimes, you know, I do a lot better if I'm well rested myself. I realize my patience gets very low sometimes when I am tired. Yeah. Amen. And so I have to kind of catch myself at times and realize, you know, I need to have more patience. I need to have more grace because his brain does work differently and not come down so hard on him for some of the things that he struggles with, which 
I've noticed when I don't get enough sleep that I tend to just not have that patience all the time. And I have to kind of stop myself and check myself and be like, okay, I need to have patience so that I can really work and talk with him through this and to solve the problem and to do that positive self-talk so that he doesn't feel bad about himself. Yeah, I agree. Geraldine, how now you have two boys, one that's on the spectrum, one is neurotypical, but you had actually said that part of the reason why you were joining this podcast was because you really were wanting to talk more about your neurotypical son because he really has some self-esteem issues. And so I thought that's a really good point too, because I don't, some of this is pertinent to our special needs kiddos, but I think it really goes, it can translate across to any of our kids and just low self-esteem and how it packs special needs kids, but also neurotypical kids. So why don't you just talk about your kiddos and, and how that plays out in your dynamic? Yeah. Um, so for my kiddo with autism, he's pretty happy go lucky for the most part. I mean, I don't really notice a ton of self-esteem issues with him, but I mean, he's also not great at expressing that either. Um, yeah, I mean, right now he's a, he's 13, so he's a little bit less happy-go-lucky, but I think that's more like the flow of hormones going through his body right now, whatever else is going on there. But my younger one, who's only 15 months younger than him, he definitely has more self-esteem issues. He, we're having him actually tested for executive functioning because he seems to forget things a lot and he just has trouble like managing his time and a few other things. And I think that all has an impact on the way that he feels about himself. Um, and his academics are, he struggles with his academics. Um, and I do as much as I can with him without, you know, help like giving him answers and trying to give him study tools that will help him in the future, especially like he's in sixth grade. I don't care what his grades too much are in sixth grade. I want him to have the tools um, that are going to help him succeed when he gets in like middle school and especially high school, because that's kind of when those grades make more of a difference. But he actually goes to see um, a counselor and because of COVID and everything, we've been doing telehealth. So he's able to kind of sit in the basement and talk to her about his struggles. Um, and one of the things I think that adds to it is the fact that he does have a sibling with autism and he gets embarrassed really easy. So he had already kind of has some self-esteem issues. And for a while, he was kind of embarrassed to bring his friends over to our house because he wasn't sure what his brother was going to do because he didn't know how to explain that to his friends. Like, oh yeah, you know, my brother has autism and he kind of does, you know, silly things every once in a while. And he flaps his arms and he makes funny noises and he doesn't really know how to interact with us in the same way. And I think that's kind of, that's been a significant part of it. He doesn't really know any different his brother has always had autism. He's older. He's always been around, but I think he just has a, he has a big awareness for that. And even when we go to the store, it really, he kind of puts his head down or sometimes he'll want to walk away from us if his brother just happens to be having a moment. Um, so I really think that's impacted him a lot. Elian just doesn't know, nor does he care. So I think that's, that's, I agree. Like in our dynamic, we have Cooper who's 17 turning 18 and he is not, he functions at a level where, you know, he's like a preschool yeah. mentality. So he just doesn't care about yeah. self-esteem, you know, self-esteem is really not a concern. But when you talk about, you know, my son who's 13, who has high functioning autism, self-esteem is a real deal. And actually just to piggyback on what you were saying, Jerilyn, on that executive function, um, I have been 
through the last, I don't know, the last three or four months periodically doing podcasts on executive function. And one of my guests, uh, Becky Gardner, she has talked about, we have talked about self-esteem as it relates to executive function. It's a real thing. And we did a podcast specifically talking about this and how it's a vicious cycle where when they're not successful with being able to manage their time, they, you know, their retention, their working memory is very short so that they're not really, you know, holding on to those things and they forget them. There's so many elements of that. And then how, just how as parents, you know, there's a lot of young people who have executive function deficits and a lot of the language that we parents and educators are using to, we think, you know, inspire them to just do better, you know, be more responsible. Why do you have to be, you know, so forgetful if you did this and that and the other, this isn't so hard, you know, you only have two jobs, which is to go to school keep your room clean. And then, you know, like that's our only expectations. But when you have kiddos that have executive function challenges, just them doing those things is hard. So when you're using some of that shaming language, you don't even realize that you're doing it because you're not understanding that the fact that this is a real problem that they have. Executive function is a real problem. And so then when you're using the shaming language, you're actually um, doing more to hurt their self-esteem than you are to build it up. So I think it's really awesome that you're looking into the executive function and then realizing that some of his self-esteem issues are just related in the fact that some things are harder for him and he doesn't know how to fix it. So good for you. If you're interested, I'll give you the podcast number or episode number so you can go back and catch some of those, um, those episodes because you might actually find some answers you might be looking for. I'm sure I will. And I think too, uh, for when you're thinking about kids with, you know, whether they're neurotypical or, you know, have, you know, some differences. I think that, you know, there's so much that plays into it. A lot of it is self, like, you know, they put, they feel bad about themselves and things that they're not able to keep up with. And so, um, it's just, it's such a hard, vicious cycle because once, you know, you have a low self-esteem in one area, I think it can kind of like translate and kind of like kind of spider web into other areas of their life. So, um, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Reagan is joining me and you have, go ahead, Reagan, introduce yourself and your kiddos, just so that people who may have not heard from you in a while in one of our podcasts are familiar with who you are and your family dynamic. Sure. So I have three children. Um, my oldest is neurotypical, uh, like Geraldine, he also suffers from some executive functioning issues and, um, what she was saying about her son uh, really hit home for me for Elijah and he's grown out of a lot of it and has adapted. And so he's, he's doing much better than he did, but in sixth grade, it was a huge struggle for him. So I can totally relate. Um, my other two children, I've got Noah 16. He's um, got autism. And then Lucy, my youngest, she also has autism. Lucy is he, she's got severe autism. So she functions, you know, a lot like Cooper and she's got a great self-esteem. I think most of the time she thinks there's something wrong with us. Yeah. Like we're the, we're the ones that are weird, not her. <laughs> you are broken there. You guys, are- I know. <laughs> like, what's, what's wrong with you people? So for her, I, it's no concern, but for Noah, he, um, he does struggle with his self-esteem and he, he hates that he's different most of the time he hates that he has autism and he hates that he's different. And, um, he doesn't like people looking at him and he doesn't like people, um, knowing that he has autism. So he's super quiet and he doesn't engage a lot because I think he's concerned that people, once he starts talking or engaging, people will know that he's different. 
And that really hurts my heart when he, uh, when he was younger, he was probably about 10 years old when he realized like that he verbalized that he realized that he was different. And, um, he, we were at the park and he ran away and went to the car and I'm like, what's wrong. And he's like, I don't want those kids to know that I'm broken. And I said, no, you're not broken. And he goes, yes, I am. And he was bawling and I was crying. It was awful. And, um, since then he's gotten a little bit better, but he still, he hates it. And I don't know what to do for him other than just give him as much love and positive reinforcement as I can. And also normalizing. Yeah normalizing his autism. Like this is normal. This is, you're just different, but it's normal. Yes. You're different as normal. And so, um, when people stare, people make comments, I just try to normalize it for him as much as possible. And that does, I see, I think seem to help him a little bit, but I agree. We went from, we went with the philosophy early on because, you know, Caleb being higher functioning, we knew that he would start realizing his differences compared to his, his friends or his classmates. So we opted to go with the, the strategy of being completely 100% open and upfront before it became an issue, before people started really like questioning things or wondering like, what's wrong with him or how come he does this different or thinks, you know, his brain processes things so differently. We went with the proactive, Hey, by the way, we have a classmate who has autism. So let's talk about autism. Let's talk about like, you know, differences, you know, he's not broken. And we've used, you know, from the dawn of time, we've used the, you know, the PS4 analogy, you know, Caleb has a PS4 brain, everybody, all the other kids in his class have the Xbox brain. And we just use that analogy because it was really easy for the kids to be able to like conceptualize that, you know, those are two exceptionally awesome game consoles. It would be difficult to say which one was better. They're just different, but you can't put an Xbox game in a PS4 and expect it to work. Um, There's going to be a little bit of a learning curve when you have the different remotes and, you know, the different game, you know, controllers. And so for early on, we just, before anybody ever questioned it, like the start of the school, it was the, Hey, we're going to have some conversation about this because number one, I really think it's important that, uh, we are letting the neurotypical students in his classes understand that there is unique differences, but that doesn't mean that you have to treat them less, but there's going to be a learning curve for everybody. And I've never been disappointed that we share. And the other thing that I have found is that by and large, Caleb wasn't really bullied because they knew that he was different and you would be a real creep if you started picking on a kid or treating a kid differently or excluding them knowing that he had autism and that was the decision that you were using in order to exclude that student. And so it really created a a social expectation of how we treat people in our class. You know what I mean? So it was risky because I've had some parents saying, you know, I would rather keep it, you know, I don't want my child defined by this. And, you know, it is so, can be so negative and polarizing that they really wanted to keep that as like a private um, topic or something where when my child feels like sharing, then that should be their decision to share it. Mm -hmm. And, um, early on, I didn't have, I wasn't going to wait around and just be like, Caleb, do you want to share with your friends that you have autism? Or I just made the decision that we were going to do it. I don't think knows any different, you know? And so Tanya, I know that you've done the same thing as well. Yeah, we've, we've done the same thing. Um, starting, we started in third grade and I asked Logan's permission. I was like, I'm not going to share with your class about you having autism if you don't want me to. And he was okay with it. So starting in, we did it in third and fourth grade this year. We didn't do it mainly because he's remote. But in third and fourth grade, I went into the class and I read a story um, to their class, 
to his class about um, it was a story about a boy with autism to give them a better understanding about like what some of um, Logan's challenges are and stuff. And they were able to ask questions. Um, Logan participated. Um, he was fine with it. And but it, I found that it was really, really helpful, especially in third grade, because um, a lot of Logan's um, difficult times would come during recess, which is very unstructured. And so um, we there was a group of um, girls in his class who really like looked out for him. And so so he was having issues with a kid from another class during recess. And these this group of girls, they won. They went and told the teacher they went and told the school social worker. And because I volunteered every Friday checking homework, they told me. So they like really like just like watched out for him and looked out for him. And it was nice kind of having that. I actually kind of really missed that group of girls because he didn't have quite the that kind of group when he entered fourth grade. But they really just kind of they just knew and they're like, you know, we need to look out for him. And yeah, I completely agree. And like I said, I have never we part of what I had concerns about early on, too, was is that, you know, it's all in how Caleb perceives his autism is how I perceive it. And if I you know, even ask him, hey, do you want anybody to know that you have autism? It's like, well, is there a reason why I shouldn't want them to know I have autism? Mm-hmm. So for Caleb, um, we just kind of made that decision. And I didn't know if it was going to be a right or wrong decision. And, and that was the thing is, is that, you know, he, I never gave him an opportunity to feel as though like autism was something like, wait, like if I was to share, what could be the bad things that would happen if I did share? So Caleb has never really had that concept that anything about autism is bad. I will tell you because he is my kiddo that likes to read the news and we've had to really lock down a lot of the apps and his access to the news. He once read an article or saw like a link to an article online about curing autism. And he was absolutely destroyed because he was like, wait, if there is a converse, if there are people out there that are trying to cure it, then that would imply that there's something wrong with it. And so that was my first thought, like, oh my gosh, like, so on one hand, I did a good job in the sense that Kayla was completely offended at the prospect of that anybody would even want to cure autism because he's just so awesome. And why would they ever feel like they would need to cure it? And so we had a conversation at that point is, is that they are talking about the autism that affects like Reagan, your daughter, Lucy, or my son, you know, our son son Cooper. And again, there are parents out there when you have kiddos that are so impacted and they, you know, hurt themselves or they can't tell you what they need or want. They're talking about that type of situation. So then he felt better about it. But like at first he was just so appalled at the concept that you would even need to do anything. I mean, from his perspective, that would be saying people with brown hair need to have their hair cured. You know what I mean? So I felt like that was really positive. Um, and just how you talk about that, Reagan, did you have something you wanted to piggyback on? No, I think that is fantastic. And yeah, I, I don't know. I think, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Another thing that I have done, because one of the things that I know that me personally, because I grew up as a, I had dyslexia, but back in those days, because I am much older than you people, um, that they didn't really know much about learning disabilities. And so I was in, you know, like resource support and, you know, all the way through high school, just because I struggled learning. And so I had a very low self-esteem when it came to my academic abilities and just my intelligence. And so one of the things that I have also done, which I don't know is right or wrong, because I really feel like just how I perceive myself matching up to my peers, just in terms of being smart, held me back. And I I self-limited myself because I didn't think I was capable of doing anything because I was always in special supports. So I don't share my kids' report cards with them. 
And I never have. Um, because from my perspective, Gerilyn, you touched on this. You don't care about the grades. And I don't either. And so, again, I don't feel like report card grades are any indication as to you know, whether or not my child's going to be successful later in life. I mean, I consider myself highly successful, but you would not have guessed that I would have achieved and done what I've done with the Isaac Foundation if you've seen some of my previous report cards. And so, um, so do you guys feel that some of the, the self-esteem issues that you guys see in your kids are somewhat related to the academic expectations that we have in schools? Like, I guess that would be my next question for you guys is that when schools have this really high expectation, and Geraldine, you're a teacher, and Tanya, you also, you're a school counselor, and then you also have a teaching certificate. How do you guys feel like our expectations of what students are expected to know is actually somewhat leading to our kids to have some self-esteem issues because it is harder for them to academically stay caught up. How do you guys? Yeah, it, I definitely agree with you. Like, cause Logan really struggles, especially in math and writing. He knows that he struggles in math and it's really hard in fifth grade math gets so much harder. And he just sometimes feels like he just can't do it and he gets frustrated. And then um, while well, I opt him out of the state tests, they did take the district tests and um, Logan's scores in both reading and math went down from the fall to the winter, but it's because he doesn't like taking tests. So he was like, I just want to get done with this. And so he's like, I don't want to sit here and take time, but you know, but then teachers see that score and they're like, well, why is this kid not doing well? I was like, he just doesn't, it's frustrating to him. He doesn't like to test. I mean, it's not, it does not at all show where he is in anything. Um, it's not an accurate reflection of what he knows. Yeah, I completely agree. Jerry Lynn, how do you feel about it? Uh, I feel, I mean, I feel the same way. I think grades can be used as sort of a gauge to a degree, but I don't think it should be the end all be all by any means. Um, I, I don't know. I guess when I, when I look at like my students, for example, I want to see kind of where they came in. Are they making progress over the year? yeah, are they better than they were when they started? Then I think they're doing a good job. Everybody is going to start in a different place. And um, it's not that those things aren't important. There are definitely skills that they're learning in school that the grades are kind of a reflection of. And the way that we grade now is it's, it is a lot different than, than before. Like you're not necessarily getting like an ABCD letter grade as in like you did 90% of that work correctly. So you got an A, it's like more standard standards-based grading now. But I see a lot of kids just, gosh, it starts so young. I teach kindergarten and I see kids who just kind of struggle like, cause they see some of their peers, they're like, gosh, I just whiz right through this. This was so easy. And then it starts really early. Like it's not that we're trying to promote that kind of environment in school, but they kind of look like, gosh, what's wrong with me? I'm still working on it. Like it's, yeah, it starts really, it starts really soon. So I think we need to like kind of change the focus personally away from that. I'm more concerned that you are, you know how to find your resources, that you are learning skills that will help you throughout life and to be able to I guess, to get those answers or to solve those problems. They need to be learning mm-hmm. thinking and problem-solving skills. Um, yeah. yeah, I definitely um, agree with you on that. My, um, I, have, I have a typical eight-year-old who I'm having evaluated for possible like executive functioning and attention deficit issues. But he notices he's really, really good at math and he does it well, but he struggles with focus. And so 
this hit his self-esteem hard is he was in, um, they split you into like groups. He's remote. And so he was in a, he was in a math group and he was actually in the like group with all the kids who do really well in math, like the higher group. But his teacher then one day moved him unbeknownst to him to the other math, just because he was struggling with focus, not because he can't do the work, but he noticed it and it really hit his self-esteem hard. I didn't expect it to, like he was upset that his math group changed and it just really affected him because, and I was like, it's not because I was like, it has nothing to do with your ability to do math. She just felt like this was a better place for you at this time because focusing and sometimes participating is hard because you're easily distracted. And, but his self-esteem just kind of plummeted and he like cried over it. Oh, yeah. I actually, I do on purpose. I switch my groups and I don't, I make sure they're not totally like strength based Mm-hmm. Groups because kids will get pegged from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're in the you're in the smart math group. You're in the smart writing or reading, yep. whatever it is, and they shouldn't grow up with that stigma. That can really impact their self esteem right away. Because the first time I switched them, I didn't switch all the kids. I just switched some of them, and I, I do it on purpose. I'm like, well, this kid will probably be a really good example for this one, and this person has strengths that um, this other kid would really, you know, could glean from um if I'm if I'm working this right but they were like really confused like what well, I'm usually in a group with so-and-so and I'm usually a group with so-and-so and just explaining to them you know these change all the time it doesn't mean this mm-hmm. doesn't yeah and explaining to them it doesn't mean that I think they're the kindergartners don't really understand that some of the kids maybe have more strengths in math or reading or whatever it is yet. They don't quite get it, but I'm trying to dispel that now because of exactly what you said, Tanya, Yeah, because it really kids get pegged into a certain spot Yeah, and it's not, it's not a good thing for their self-esteem. Reagan, have you, do you have any correlation between some of the academic expectations and self-esteem? So actually, um, with Noah, um, not so much. So his is really social related then. His is. So academically, Noah is in um, extended resource. So he only, so he's a sophomore. He only goes out to general ed for like art and like PE or health. Um, and he goes with a para, but everything else, all of his core classes are in extended resource. So he's only around mostly other kiddos like him and also with his IEP I mean he's you know his standards are set lower because that's where they need to be but I actually find that my older child who is neurotypical he struggles with executive functioning and focus and um his grades have not always been the best um but his brother sits there on like the honor roll every every quarter every semester because but he's only you know required to read it like a fourth grade level and like his math is at sixth grade and so Elijah's like wait a second like he's doing elementary school stuff and he's on the honor roll he's like I'm in physics and like I'm not and so actually it's his self-esteem that I think suffers a little bit from he thinks his brother's kind of getting like an easier ride 
Okay. And I'm so glad you said that because we are having the same debate in our house because, um, you know, my husband does try to incentivize for our, you know, kiddos, you know, like some good grades, even though my kids don't really know what good grades are like, you know, and we get a report card. That's amazing. You know, he's just like, Hey, I'm just really proud of you. Here's like, you know, like 20 bucks, whatever. But my older boys who are in juniors, they pay, obviously they look at their report cards because it matters for them to be able to get into new tech, which is their trade school yeah. that you have to have a certain grade point average. So when, you know, Caleb's like, oh, you know, I got $20 because, you know, like John says, like, I did really good. Um, they're just like, this is so unfair, you know, like, so they want to, they want to see his report card. And yeah, you know, Caleb has all A's. Right. It's modified. You're right. right. It's modified. Um, and Caleb doesn't really know. He just knows that he did a good job. So like, what does he care? Um, right. <laughs> absolutely right. The boys are super mad. It's like, well, that's because he's doing fourth grade math and fourth grade math is super easy. And I, yep. and I have always told my kids, Hey, here's the thing, you know, because one of my juniors is in accommodated because he's on an IEP because of delays from academics because of his, um, his previous kind of childhood. Uh, I always tell kids, that it doesn't matter if you're doing great math, fifth grade math in the ninth grade, what, like you just be there when you get there. And so, uh, oh, we're listening to a, a concert there. Oh, oh, Lucy singing Lady Gaga. Sorry. I love it. She's got a great voice. Um, so that's my thing for my kids that they just don't, they don't have any way of comprehending the fact that. You know, like if you're doing fifth grade math in the eighth grade, who cares? Like as long as you got an A and it was like a positive grade, like who gives a crap? Because I didn't learn to do like high school math until like I was trying to get into college. And so I had to actually go back and make up some math because I didn't, I had to be at a certain level before I could actually even take like university math. And so, you know, it, I keep telling my kids, it doesn't matter the fact that he has, you know, he's only doing fourth grade math right now in seventh grade, you know, as long as he's getting an A in fourth grade math, isn't that really what's important. And so, but again, you're absolutely right with the boys. It's just like, it's just not fair. Like I'm doing 11th grade math and it's hard. And so it's like, but you can't compare yourself to another person because it's like, you know, you know, how can you say that a redhead is better than a person with brown hair? You know what I mean? It's just different. And so, and that's so we have so many things that are just hard and different that we're trying to fight with. Um, and you know, just what they watch on TV makes, you know, really impact self-esteem. And it's just, it comes in, in so many different areas that it's really hard to stay up on how, where, where their self-esteem is becoming negatively impacted. And then what can you do to try and change it and improve their self-esteem. And, and this is my next question to you guys. I go back and I think of myself in junior high and high school, and I don't think any of us had awesome self-esteem because it is just such an awkward age. So is some of this struggle with self-esteem just related to the fact that, um, it's just an awkward time and we all, it's just kind of a rite of passage. Like, is that a possibility? Um, Tommy, how do you feel about that? Um, yeah, I definitely think it's, just an awkward age. I mean, I remember um, junior high wasn't my favorite time. It was just, you know, I was a late developer. So I was like this like tiny, tiny person in seventh grade and everyone else had like grown. Mm -hmm. It's really fun. I go back and look at my seventh grade volleyball pictures and it's like this straight line of people. And then there's me. Yeah. 
Well, and you and Tanya, okay, so Tanya and Jerry Lynn actually know each other from school. And so one of the things we were talking about is how, you know, we were talking about whether or not our boys want to do PE because PE is just so like for our kiddos on the autism spectrum, like I'm going to be the first one to admit I opted Caleb out for PE because the stress of him having to go into a locker room and then have to deal with changing clothes. I'm just like, there's nothing productive or positive that is going to come around from something like that. So again, you know, with Caleb pushing back on that and I'm thinking about self-esteem, is that going to help him or is it going to hurt him? So I'm like, screw it. We're not even going to deal with it. So we opted out. But then Tanya, you mentioned while we were getting ready to hit the record button that your son is now talking about wanting to do PE. And then you mentioned that you and Jerry Lynn met during those awkward, that awkward period of time in PE, right? And so that's what kind of made me start thinking about the concept of, you know, I think we all have some self-esteem mm-hmm. issues. So um, yeah, you're right. Like you had, so you and Jerry Lynn met during actually, what grade was it? PE? We met during seventh grade, sometime in seventh grade. Yeah. yeah. I was just awkward because I was brand new. I was painfully shy because that was my first year here in Spokane. And at that age, it was just, it was difficult. So yeah, that would be a hard, that would be a hard grade to be brand new. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I knew nobody. I wasn't about to introduce myself. So yeah. yeah. And that's the thing is, it's that we all have kind of moved past. I was, I had extreme self-esteem issues and now I think I have a pretty good self-esteem and you don't want to know why, but I don't think all of my self-esteem actually kicked in until I hit 40. And it's because like your, I I call it the give a shit meter just breaks at the age of 40, in my opinion. And so you start just caring less about other people. And so like your self-esteem, I think just automatically, I think it's kind of like a, an arc where, you know, like it starts out low and it's just hard. I, I agree with that, Holly, completely, because I used to be such a, like, always caring what other people thought of me. I was a people, I've always been a people pleaser. And now having a child with autism, oh, that's definitely, and as I've gotten older, has shifted. Like, I'm not afraid to ruffle feathers if I, you know, all this stuff that, you know, used to not be me speaking up, um, emailing the district, you know, yeah. all that stuff I would never have wanted to do when I was younger. I was very much like, you know, I don't like to rock the boat. I don't like conflict. I agree. But, you would have never done that before. What? I agree. You would have never done that in like middle school and high school. Nope. Would never yeah. have. Yeah, exactly. Reagan, how do you feel about that whole concept of we all kind of, it's a natural progression of life where everybody's self-esteem is fairly low, but as you meander through life, it improves. Like, how do you feel about that thought? <laughs> I absolutely think so. I think once you hit middle school and like you start getting those hormones and like kids are just jerks, like middle school is just hard. I think for everybody, I don't care if you have autism or you're neurotypical or it's just hard. And so is high school too. So I think, yeah, once I became an adult, I was my thirties, actually, once I hit 30, I was just like, you give a shit. I, don't care. <laughs> yeah, I just don't care what anybody thinks. Yeah. So, um, and that was before I had severe autism, you know, um, I just had moderate autism and, but, um, yeah, I think for going back to like opting Caleb out of PE, I think Noah, if I did that for him, I think he would, it would do the reverse for him. He'd be like, but I'm, I can do PE. I can be like the neurotypical kids. Like, you know, and I think if I opted him out, he would be like, oh no, 
you're, I'm, I'm doing this. What we did actually in relationship to that though, is we often out of that, but we're just like, Hey, physical education is really important. So we actually take yeah. to uh, dynamic racing and physical therapy. They have, um, it's called healthy body solutions is a division of, um, dynamic racing and physical therapy. And so he actually does his workouts there. So he's actually nice. in a room, he's in a room, like a gym room where it's open and there's other people all around. Um, but it's just, he doesn't have to change his clothes. He's does, right. the, uh, they track his data so he can see the progression of the fact that he was improving and his strength is improving. And it's kind of like a video game for him too, because there's a screen in front of him so he can see, mm-hmm. sees his old, like the old, um, like graph of what his previous workout results were. And so he's always, it's like a video game. He's always trying to be right. a score. So it's kind of nice. Um, That's and I awesome. Told him, if at some point you want to go back to doing PT in a group with other people, it's not that he can't do it. I was just being respectful of the fact that, you know, Hey, you know, this is what this is going to look like. You're going to have to change your clothes. And he was like, sure. No, I'm with you. But I, I would also be like, I don't think you should do this. And he's like, Nope, I'm doing it. I'm like, okay. And that's, I mean, yeah, if you want to, but Logan's whole philosophy right now, because I've given him the choice on doing PE is he's like, I would like, as long as he doesn't have to change, he's like, I'd like to give it a try, but if it doesn't work, then you can opt me out. See, and oh, I cool. love that idea. And that's actually shows really strong advocacy, which in order to be a strong advocate for yourself, you have to have self-confidence, which is self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing is, is I think that anything that we're doing to help them advocate for themselves shows, you know, self-confidence and some self-esteem, but, you know, you had mentioned too, and I, I'm going to backtrack a little bit, Tanya, you had mentioned that you opt your son out for the state testing. And, um, I give Caleb the choice of whether or not he wants to take it or not. And he always chooses to take it because he has no anxiety about a test. He has zero (laughs) exam anxiety because I'm just like, it doesn't matter. You just do your best. And you know, at the end of the day, we are working where we are working and we don't care what everybody else is doing. We only oh, Logan hates the test. So in yeah. fact, well, so they're, they're you know, in um, fifth grade, they're working on like opinion writing, which I have to laugh because this was the best topic that you could have chosen for Logan to write about is they had to um, write their opinion on whether students should take state tests or not. Oh. <laughs> and they had to provide like their reason and support and they read two articles like one article for state testing and one article against and then they had to like form their opinion and logan's like no students should not have to he was already like very much on the students should not have to take the state test train that is adorable i tell caleb that the state testing is simply a report card for the teacher and so this is really for the teacher and the school to make sure that they are doing it's their assessment to make sure that the students in their school are actually where they need to be. And so he does actually, he opts to take the test. And he also, because he, well, I'm going to say most of the time he loves his teachers and he wants to show, he wants them to get a good report card. So he does try his best. There is occasionally a time where he did not like his teacher anymore. So he wanted to fail the test just to prove to their bosses that they were terrible teachers. So there are pros and cons of that. You know what I mean? But all in all, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, you know, you know, this is the best way that I can use to describe what those state testings are for. And so, and it's not untrue. It is absolutely true. And that's kind of the hard part too, is, you know, like Caleb's self-esteem is, you know, like I said, he's very high functioning, but when he takes, he has zero test anxiety um, because, you know, I just have a lot of language about the fact that, Hey, you have to do your best. And if your best is still maybe not like to what the standard is, and then we just got to go back. We got to look at what part we got to relearn. It's not that 
you're a failure. So when he gets assignments back where he's got an F, I'm like, oh, okay, well, it looks like we must have done something wrong on one of these assignments. We got to go back and look at it. He really doesn't mind. Like, it's kind of like, oh, okay, you know, I guess maybe I misread a question or maybe I just like, I need someone to explain it again. So it's been pretty good so far, just in the fact that he really doesn't put any value in a report card or even tests. Um, but with that being said, am I screwing up because Caleb's not pushing himself to be like the best and maybe, I don't know, but at the end of the day, I feel like, well, we're only in the seventh grade. So, you know, I, I don't know, like it could all, so every, I'm putting it out on the record, what I have done and maybe it's going to actually have later on in life, Caleb's going to be a massive underachiever because I've just not put a lot of like, you know, high pressure around some of these things. I don't know. I mean, it's definitely something to think about. Well, I think that you're, I think our job as parents is to raise happy, healthy, well-adjusted children and academics are important, but I think, and being an adult and knowing that emotional intelligence and adaptability, um, are more important skills to have as an adult than, you know, maybe your IQ being as high as it can possibly be. I think those are more important things. So if maybe the academics suffer a little bit, to be able to accommodate them to where you're teaching them the flexibility that they need um, as adults and being adaptable and having a higher emotional intelligence. I think that's probably going to serve them a lot better in adulthood than a high IQ. Well, and that is something that you're right in that, because one of the things I used to always try and like coach myself through when I was younger, because again, I was in special education and my high school had even put me in classes to try and teach me a vocation because they didn't see that I was going to have an opportunity to go to higher education. And I don't fault them for that because they were trying to give me, you know, tools to be successful. But one of the things that I always prided myself on is street smarts. It's like, you know what? Hey, like, at least I'm smart enough to figure out, like, you know, if my car breaks down, I have a plan. So like, I was always the girl with the backup plan to the backup plan to the backup plan. I was resourceful and I had a lot of street smarts. So, you know, not getting myself into a situation where like, I didn't have a plan and I'm telling you what, those skills have always served me better than any academic, uh, skill that I ever had. You know what I'm saying? Those are what got me farther in life. And so that social intelligence, just being able to talk to people, relate to people. Um, so anyway, I think you're absolutely right. That's a really good point. Did you have a point you want to make Tanya? Um, well, I was going to go back to the, some of the academic stuff of like areas that our kids may struggle with and have self-esteem. So like, um, Logan, like Caleb, I'm pretty sure has dysgraphia, which, um, makes it very hard for him to put like his thoughts and words. So one thing, and I may overhelp him on this, but I let him like with remote school, dick just dictate to me what he wants to say. And I help him word it. I type it for him and I'll help him word it nicely because he knows he, he knows what he wants to say in his head and he can verbalize it, but he can't transfer that onto paper. Yes. And that's what I tell Caleb all the time is I also help Caleb understand because he has dysgraphia as well. So one of the things I try and help Caleb understand is, is that, this part of your brain is still developing. So it is really mm -hmm. hard to have all of the ideas and you're hundred percent mm -hmm. right, but putting it out on a paper is not your strong suit. So mm -hmm. we've been talking a lot about, Hey, let's talk to your teacher. If there's like, maybe you can build a PowerPoint so that he knows that you know the answers to this, but you're not having to write an essay about this particular topic. And 
he loves because he will build PowerPoint presentations with graphics all day long. But it's amazing when he goes online and he finds like he just finds images and then he pastes them together and then he layers these things all together. You 100 percent know he understands the concept of the social studies project, the history mm-hmm. project, or the science project. Um, we had to do a learning a project on um, cells and the different jobs of the different parts of the cell. So Kayla built a PowerPoint presentation and did an analogy about um, how the different parts of the cells were different workers in a restaurant. And so like this part of the cell does this job in the cell, which is basically like the hostess that seats people at a restaurant. So he used the analogy of, of Olive Garden to talk about all the different parts of a cell and what their jobs were. Um, and this part of the cell is basically the big dumpster in the back where you put all the rotten food at the end of the night. And it was just one of those things where like I was killing myself over this presentation, but a hundred percent. accurate. And he got an A on that project because now it took him an extra, probably an extra seven days to get it all done because he was doing his like, you know, in a PowerPoint and stuff. But his teacher was just like, hey, I definitely know he gets the concept of the different like jobs and the parts of the cell that do different things. Now he can't pronounce half of those things, um, the actual cell parts, but it's like, whatever, you know, but and that's the thing is it's kind of like what you're saying is he has a good self-esteem just knowing that hey, you know what? You don't have to do it the way that everybody else is doing it. You just got to figure out a way so that the teacher knows that you actually have the concept down. You know what I mean? And so he's pretty he's pretty okay with that right now. Now, when we get back into the classroom and he's looking around and seeing the other people's projects, is that going to start impacting him more? Possibly. I mean, I can't say it's not. But um, so far, we're in the seventh grade and we're just, we take we take month by month. We take day by day, really. You know? Yeah. And one That's of the, th- the crap that comes to me yeah. on that particular day. And one of the things I learned attending, I attended um, with Patrick Swartz, the, that part of the inclusive education conference. And one of the things they really emphasized, you know, was letting kids like do assessments in ways that work for them to show their knowledge. So if my child struggles with writing, don't have him do a, like a writing assessment, but he can maybe verbalize to you like what he knows about the topic as his assessment to determine what he knows. Yeah. Well, we do that in vocabulary too, because his social studies teacher always gives them a big long list of vocab words that throughout mm-hmm. that unit they're going to be learning about. So they have to like do this vocabulary assignment. And Caleb, the best part of the assignment is, is that he has to figure out what the word means, but then he has to find pictures and build a PowerPoint to describe <laughs> what the word means. And I'm telling you what, the fact that he's going online and finding the pictures to describe what the word means is way more valuable than him typing the words that actually say what it is. So he like his like, you know, so like instead of a volcano, he can give you the, you know, like, yeah, you're supposed to type out what a volcano is. Instead, he starts building a power slide, PowerPoint slide on an actual volcano and like, so his learning is so much actually better, I think, than just going and finding the definitions of all those stupid words. So his favorite thing about right now in, in the social studies class is that he is learning vocabulary and he gets to go online and find pictures to describe all this stuff. So whatever, whatever floats your boat, my friend, whatever. Whatever that works. Just, that makes me happy that the teacher's allowing that. That's just basic like differentiation for, for the students. And that's awesome. Yeah. And actually, we do get some laughs out of some of the slides that he builds to describe some of those vocab words where it's like, you know what, I hadn't really thought about that. Or sometimes he's actually a little bit off of what the word is and what he thinks it is. But you can tell that he's wrong 
based off of the pictures that he's picking to describe it, if you know what I mean. So it's kind of, it's, it's a good belly roll laugh at times when you see some of the slides he builds, because then you can really get, you start understanding kind of how his mind works and how he interprets and perceives some of these vocab words. But anyway, it's kind of a good, I should save some of them for later in life uh, for a good belly roll for some people. So a lot of his teachers have told me over the years that, you know, you could write a book over some of Caleb's, you know, just how he, when he's able to describe some of these things and how, you know, his perception and how he views it. Uh, and just kind of like what you're talking about, just even about politics, how he views and, and would interpret some of the politics pieces is very entertaining. So, Tanya, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap it up on anything that we didn't cover that you feel like families that are listening might want to think about when it comes to self-esteem? Um, just constantly, like, don't, like, put down your child's challenges. Constantly do positive self-talk and talk them up. Don't let them, you know, know that, you know, certain things are hard for them, but, you know, realize it's because their brains work differently and to not um, discourage them, but to constantly keep encouraging them. Yeah. And it's also, I think another good point too, is it's never too late to be working on improving their self-esteem. So just because they might be in mm -hmm. high or middle school, it's not too late to go back and try and do some work on improving their self-esteem about themselves. And I think normalizing it too is really important. Like everybody your age feels the exact mm -hmm. same. It's your your friend that you think the friend that you're all comp you're comparing yourself to, they have self-esteem issues as well. Like everybody does. This is a very normal thing to be feeling. So it's never too late to be working on the self-esteem um, and trying to build it up. Do you have any final thoughts, Geraldine? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, same thing as Tanya, but like share those successes as much as possible, really focus on their strengths and the positives. I know that's really helped with my son. He's really, he's great at art and like more creative things. It's kind of those, it's math and, you know, those kinds of things that he doesn't do as well at. So really just kind of try to focus on the things that they do do well. Yeah. I also have found that um, when they have something where they're not good at, I like to go online and find people like really famous people or really successful people or people that they look up to that actually had those same struggles because, you know, people that are in the public eye are being very open about some of the things that they struggled with. And so some of like the kids' favorite YouTubers and um, actors and whatnot, actually, if you Google some of those different insecurities or things that they really are down on themselves about, you can find some of their heroes out there that actually had those same struggles. And so it's really, that has been really helpful too for us. So I think, you know, getting them to realize you're not the only one out there is really, is, is important too. What about you, Reagan? Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? Yeah, I think um, I agree with everybody else there um, that's on the panel. And I also think just teaching your child self-compassion and also showing compassion for yourself. So like when you make mistakes or you're imperfect, showing them those imperfections and showing them that like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like you're an imperfect person. Yeah. Everyone. Sure. Yeah. Showing them the perseverance skills that you as a parent have too. Like, you know, yeah, I always, one of the things we do in our family too, is I, when I make a mistake, I make a big deal about acknowledging the fact that I made a mistake and also apologizing. Like, you know, I'm, I'm human. So I made a mistake. And so being really vocal with the fact that I'm apologizing in the presence of everyone so that they see that like, you can apologize. You can repair. Hi, Lucy. Yeah. She's uh, trying to sell my coffee. No, mine. <laughs> She's got some good taste there, Lucy. <laughs> but 
yeah, you're absolutely right. Showing some of those things in yourself and then, you know, so that you're demonstrating it because you're a good role model for your own kiddo. Sure. All right. Well, with that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this podcast. And thank you guys for being with me. And I hope to see you all next time. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.